Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to Theory Lab, the American Cancer Society's research podcast. Joe Cotter here and Susanna Greer. Hello, Joe. So I've been wanting to chat with you about this topic for a while, and we finally lined up a great guest to talk about resistance to treatment, right? One of the most important issues in cancer research, it's got to be. Yeah. Um, so you spoke with Dr. Tuomas Tamela. He studied under the great Tyler Jacks at MIT, and now he runs his own lab at the Sloan Kettering Institute, where he's an assistant member. He's um, He's got ACS funding to explore resistance to treatment in lung cancer, specifically tumor heterogeneity and something, what did he call it? High plasticity cells, something like that. Susanna, help me out here. <laughs> yeah, so I, I love this conversation because you're right. Resistance to treatment is, our, I think, our biggest challenge for cancer. So let's just remind ourselves what that is. So when I would say when a cancer therapy initially works really well and the cancer may seem to go totally away, but then it comes back months or years or even decades later and we have to change that treatment regimen and use maybe a second line therapy. So that would be the case of unfortunately many cancers. And so we're really struggling in the oncology community to understand why, what, what, what is it about cancer and specifically the cellular makeup of tumors that allow them to have this crazy ability to survive um, treatment. So Thomas did this just beautiful job of explaining what you termed this highly plastic cell state. So yes, I came uh, up with that myself. That's right. You did. He's going to be so grateful to you where these cells that are within the tumor have this ability to become whatever they need to be to avoid that pressure of the treatment. Um, absolutely fascinating to think about the implications for how we could treat tumors uh, more specifically and, and wipe out those really awful, horrible cells. Um, so it, it's a really fascinating conversation. Good morning, Thomas. How are you? Good morning, Susanna. I'm doing great. How are you? You know, I am doing okay. It is a kind of overcast day here in Atlanta, but that's okay. I'm I'm going to have a really fun opportunity to talk to you. So are you ready to dive in? I am. I'm, I'm excited. All right. Let's start with a softball. Um, help us understand what does it mean for a cancer to become resistant to a treatment? What does that mean for, I guess, the cancer and for the patient? Yes, that's a very important question. And uh, obviously, that is the big problem in cancer therapy right now. We're, we've come very far in understanding what treatments work best for a particular type of cancer. And uh, oftentimes, fortunately, these therapies initially work. Sometimes they don't, even, even uh, in the first line. Uh, but usually they work at first quite well, sometimes even so well that the cancer goes away completely. We can't detect it anymore. But eventually, unfortunately, the, the cancer comes back. And then the doctor has to think of the second line of therapy, which involves usually uh, a different kind of therapy. Uh, and then, um, unfortunately, oftentimes we run out of those options. All right. Well, I, I think you've set me up for something else I wanted you to help us understand. And that is, if this is the biggest problem in cancer therapy, that is 
resistance to treatment? Is it because it has such a, a large impact on what what you described as cancer going away, which we would we would call remission? Yes, so the remission really is what the oncologist and the patient are looking for when they go through these therapies. And um, when the cancer comes back, it comes back as a different disease. It's changed, at least it's changed in the way that it, does, it no longer responds to that first line of therapy. And uh, then the patient has um, uh, relapsed. So the disease has come back and uh, it needs to be controlled in some other way. Okay, I think what you said there is really key that importantly, what you said is that when it comes back, it's a different disease. So let's let's talk a little bit more about that. If it's different, that must mean that the cancer cells have become resistant to treatment because they've changed something about themselves. So let's dive in a little bit to your area of expertise, which is how do these changes impact the actual I guess, cellular makeup of a tumor? I, I want to ask that question first, and then I'll have a follow-up. Yes, this is a very exciting area in cancer research right now. And this is, uh, as you said, a key focus of my lab. And what we're beginning to understand is that a cancer actually is, a, is made up of cancer cells, obviously, but that these cancer cells are actually quite diverse. They actually make up different populations with different functional properties. And several of these populations we're learning now are actually upfront resistant to even the most efficient therapies. And these cells, these subsets of cancer cells that uh, remain in what we call uh, the minimal residual disease the, the tiny, tiny fraction, sometimes it's a very tiny fraction of cancer cells that are left behind after the first round of therapy, they are the seed for relapse. They are the cells that will then uh, figure out a way to grow out, and usually they grow out as a different type of tumor that no longer is re uh, responding to the first line of therapy. So I think the word that you would apply to this in your field is heterogeneity, so tumor heterogeneity, right, where the tumor, which I guess, like if you were to think of a textbook drawing of a tumor, you see all these cells and they're identical. And what you're telling us is they're not at all. And in fact, not only are they different, but I, I really like the analogy you gave us that some of these cells in the tumor are really kind of nasty and you use the analogy of them being a seed that is planted, that no matter what happens to destroy lots and lots of cells around them, that first line therapy, they remain. So is that the right description of tumor heterogeneity? Absolutely, Susanna, I think you put it really well. And the one way to sort of visualize this is to think of uh, a bottle. The, the cancer is inside the bottle, and then when we apply therapy, we apply therapeutic pressure on the tumor, we're forcing uh, um, uh, some of those cancer cells to come out of the bottle through the bottleneck. We, we in fact generate a bottleneck effect. And only the cancer cells that are the most malleable, the most adaptable, they are able to squeeze through that bottleneck. And uh, they can actually stay in that bottleneck for a very long time, for years. A patient can 
not have detectable cancer even though some of these cells remain and eventually they they um, uh, spit out of the bottle and now give rise to a new bottle uh, that we have to manage in in different ways well, i really love that so one area of your research then focuses on what you described as these, if we think of the, the tumor, let's go back to your bottle analogy. So if we think of these cells, these cancer cells kind of being pressed in the bottle in response to the pressure that's given by the treatment, some of the cells are really these, these nasty ones. These seeds are able to move around and avoid that pressure and, and survive, as you said, for a really long time. So your research focuses on what those cells look like, and you call that cell state. So you've called these different cell states lots of different terms, but one of them that's become prominent in the literature is that these cells are termed highly plastic. So, so what exactly does that mean? Can you help us to understand why you would apply that word highly plastic? to these cells that are kind of being all squished around and avoiding treatment and hanging out in our bodies for a long time to eventually cause a recurrence of our disease. Yes, so by what, what plasticity means, it, it really means um, that the cells are capable of adapting. They're, they're very easy, they're very good at uh, acquiring new cell states. They're very good at changing from one state to another. Um, and, and that really is the problem. Uh, in fact, our work that was just recently published um, identified a high plasticity cell state uh, in lung cancer. And, and this cell state really seems to be not just important for resistance to therapy, but in Evolution, in how the tumor, as it becomes progressively more and more aggressive and eventually metastatic, this, this cell state is, the, is at the heart. It's sort of like a very busy um, intersection that all the cells have to pass through if they want to change from one thing to another. And so we really think that this cell state is, is very critical for not just treatment resistance, but also uh, progression of cancer. Okay, wow, that's really interesting. I love the way that you shared. So these cells are moving around in response to the pressure applied by treatment, and they have to pass through as they move these different intersections of what you call a highly plastic cell state that gives them this incredible advantage where they can, as you said, they can adapt and they can change from one state to another in response to the different pressures that are put on them. So help us understand why is this so important then in terms of resistance to treatment? Well, what we found is that when we treat these lung tumors that we studied with, uh, in this case, chemotherapy, but we've now done some work with targeted therapy, which is a, a more sophisticated way, uh, a type of cancer therapy. In both cases, the cells that remain the minimal residual disease that I mentioned earlier, they are highly enriched for this high plasticity state. So it suggests that actually uh, that cell state is not only adaptable, not only capable of giving rise to new states that are resistant, but in itself it is 
drug resistant. Um, and, and therefore, we think this, in fact, targeting this cell state will be very important in um, preventing treatment resistance. In analogy to the bottle that I that I mentioned earlier, that would be the way to plug the bottle completely. We would get rid of any cell that tries to squeeze through and remain in these tumors. Wow, this is this is a really scary picture that you are painting, but so illustrative of why it is so difficult to treat tumors. So help me understand, you've given us the example of lung cancer. I'm interested to know that if we were to think about breast cancer and prostate cancer and colorectal cancer, so th those are all very different tumor types. So do all tumors or do you think many tumors have these really terrible cells, these highly plastic cell states? And if so, would this be a potential avenue for treatment? That's a really great question, uh, Susanna. Um, and the short answer is, I think, yes. And I'll, we actually have some evidence for that. So when we took this city cell state uh, signature, they have a gene expression signature, uh, an identity that we can, uh, we can uh, define in molecular terms. When we take that signature and apply it to all of human lung cancer data, patients that have a high correlation with this signature, suggesting that they have many of these highly plastic cells, they do very poorly. Their prognosis is very bad. But what was really surprising was that when we took that signature and now applied it to all kinds of cancer, blood cancers, brain tumors, prostate, like you mentioned, uh, and, many, and all, of the, all of the cancers that have been studied and found in humans, the same holds true. So that really suggests to us that there is something fundamental about cells being plastic and cancer, and that actually correlates with uh, a patient's prognosis. That's really interesting. So if it correlates with prognosis across the spectrum of all disease, that that actually is a really exciting finding in terms of of thinking about therapeutic targets. So can you help, could you walk us through where we might be in, I don't know, I don't want to put time on it, but in a few years, could the highly plastic cell state be something that is targeted therapeutically? And, and how would you go about thinking about that? Yes, and another really great question, and I'm I'm so excited to talk about this because I am so excited about this um, opportunity to really figure out what drives this cell state, what are the molecular processes, uh, and and my lab is very heavily interested uh, invested in um, trying to identify the molecular processes that uh, are responsible for this high plasticity, and once we identify those processes, drugs can be developed block those processes. We become very good at developing drugs against various types of um, uh, molecular targets, but identifying the target is, is often the challenge, and that's what we're, uh, we're uh, very interested in doing right now. And we have made some progress already. We have some interesting candidates that we're following up. And I should also mention that this uh, part of this work is um, one of these candidates is uh, is work that is supported by um, the American Cancer Society. So we're very uh, uh, appreciative of, of the support. That's fantastic. How exciting to think about the fact that you could target these 
really different cell states therapeutically and then apply that potentially across the spectrum of many, many different tumor types. So ah, incredibly exciting. So I'd love to dive into that a little bit more. Let's let's talk about your ACS grant because this is really exciting and let's tie up a few loose ends. So you were funded by the American Cancer Society to study lung cancer. And I'm I'm interested in tying together this conversation around heterogeneity, because I don't think this is something that we all think about all the time. So help me understand. So is, first of all, let's just, I guess, level set. Does heterogeneity impact treatment resistance in lung cancer? So is that a problem in lung cancer specifically, where you have all these different types of cells within a tumor making it difficult to treat? Absolutely. I think lung cancer actually is, and the particular type of lung cancer that we study, lung adenocarcinoma, is in fact, in many ways, a sort of a poster child for being a very heterogeneous disease, both across individuals, so across different people, no different patients, uh, disease is the same. They, they have unique features, and that, of course, creates and diversity. But even if we zoom in to just one patient's tumor, these tumors are very heterogeneous. And the disease is also a poster child in the sense that it really has been one of these success stories of targeted therapies. And now, uh, these days, also immunotherapies. But even though these therapies, as I said earlier, very often completely wipe out the tumor, it's no longer visible in a, in a CT scan of the patient's um, lung and, and body. We know that some cells, unfortunately, very often stay behind. And so what our work and now the work of many others as well in the field is what we're trying to do is to kind of shift the paradigm towards a concept where instead of treating a cancer, any cancer, but in our case, lung cancer, with just one drug or two drugs, we, we want to actually treat the cancer as if it's multiple different diseases because all of these various subsets of cancer cells within one tumor are different and they should be targeted with different kinds of therapies. So what we're go going uh, for here is, is a sort of a new type of combination therapy where we've started now by identifying the really bad populations. And once we've identified them, we want to first go after those populations. And, and, and ideally, the way I see this working, hopefully in the future, is that we combine drugs that are very good already, that no, we know work, they really wipe out the majority of the cancer cells very often, with drugs that will then get rid of these particularly nasty and resistant cancer cells so that we can completely wipe out the tumor. Uh, that's where I see the field going. All right, so I really, I, I love this because when you, earlier in our conversation, when you were talking about this highly plastic cell state and you used that great analogy of a, a bottle where when you apply the therapy, the first line therapeutic, that these cells just respond to that pressure by maybe moving around to a different place in the bottle and, and escape um, because they're so malleable and so great at changing. So that to me sets up a really scary scenario where, as you said, many cells will survive that first-line therapy and eventually, maybe years, maybe decades later, grow again and will need a, another therapeutic. So that set up a scary situation. But what you're saying now is that why not do the hard thing first? Why not go after 
those cells that we know can squish around and change and hide during that first line therapy and a combination treatment. So to me, that is, oh my gosh, it's so exciting. So help us understand that a little bit more in the, in the lung cancer situation where we're thinking about later stage lung cancer tumors, which we know have these cells that are so different from each other that are heterogeneous. What types of data could help us to understand how to treat them? I guess another way to ask it is, we hear about tons of different combination therapies. Is there one combination that you think or a, a, that might work best? So where do you start with this kind of experiment? Yeah, that's a, it's another really um, fascinating topic to discuss because the field uh, and my lab, uh, as a part of that field, we've been really helped by very exciting technological, uh, I would say not even just an advance, but a real leap in technolo technology that now, now allows us to actually profile individual cancer cells at just an unprecedented resolution. So we can actually um, take a tumor from, uh, from a patient or, or a mouse uh, model tumor and, and just analyze thousands and thousands of cancer cells in a completely uh, new way with unprecedented detail. And now we can, and by doing this, we've actually learned uh, uh, very much about heterogeneity, tumor heterogeneity, about these different populations, what they are, number one, but also how are they different? What are the particular features in these cells that distinguish them from other cells? And this type of analysis can already help us come up with processes based on knowledge that we already have uh, of uh, particular pathways, signaling pathways, uh, that or transcriptional programs, gene expression programs that could be targeted and that could be important for driving that particular cell state. So it's, it's a very exciting time. And um, at the same time, we've also uh, in parallel, another big technology that many have probably heard of helps us uh, validate these candidates. And that's, that's CRISPR-Cas9. So CRISPR is a new technology that allows us to uh, actually uh, knock out or inactivate candidate genes with uh, great ease. And, and this is another very powerful approach. And actually, just a few days ago, uh, the Nobel Prize was awarded to the, um, to the, to the two uh, women who, who I identified this uh, wonderful molecular tool. All right. So it, it sounds like you really nicely kind of tied it all together for us that the bad news is that tumor cells are super sneaky that the worst of the worst can change their cell state, which we've spent some time talking about this highly plastic cell state that allows them to just be pretty awful and to adapt to fit their environment where the strongest cells survive. So what you've laid out for us now is that you have this incredible ability to understand more about these sneaky cells. So what they are, how they're different from other cells, and then what do they need to survive? So what type of pathway? And you, you talked about different transcription factors. And so those are proteins in cells that maybe we could target. Um, and, and if that's the particular protein that this sneaky, horrible cell needs to survive, maybe we could target it with a drug. So is this how you see us ultimately being able to find the worst of the worst cancer cells? Yes, I think so. I think we 
as cancer biologists, uh, we all seek in one way or another, we seek the silver bullet. We seek the universal cure for cancer. And it really is um, the way you define it, of course, the silver bullet is can be can be different. For sure, it's not going to be the same silver silver bullet uh, for for all kinds of cancers. It's going to be uh, cancer type specific and and often even patient specific. But uh, with these tools that we have, we are able to uh, hopefully not too long from now actually target highly plastic cells, these really bad actors, and and that will re- lead to uh, much better outcomes. And dare I even say, hopefully, to the cure. Wow, this is just absolutely incredible. I, I you've laid out such in a lovely way how you are seeking that silver bullet or or bullets, as you say. So, thank you so much. This is just really wonderful. Um, I'd, I'd love to know. I know you have been funded, as you said, by the American Cancer Society. Could you share with us how ACS funding has impacted your research? The funding from the American Cancer Society has had a tremendous impact on my research. I just started my lab about three years ago, and when you're starting out, you don't have the credentials of an established investigator, and establishing oneself in the field is is difficult. And especially what I appreciate about the American Cancer Society, there were two things actually. One was that they they believed in me and the idea that I had that I proposed, but also that the funding is long-term. It's a four-year grant. So that actually gives us the necessary support to really go after a big problem and a big question uh, because we know that we we have the funding for, for, for these four years and it really will take long. It takes a long time to get results and therefore having this long-term support is is very, very important. Well, you're absolutely right, Thomas. We we absolutely do believe in you, and and you have seemingly tackled the biggest problem and biggest question there is. Um, and congratulations, you've had some a tremendous success, and um, we're just really excited to continue following you. I just have one last question. Many of our listeners are cancer patients, or caregivers, or survivors. Is there a message you would like to share with this specific audience? I want to say to all the all the cancer patients, people that are impacted by cancer in in one way or another, just hang in there. We are uh, fighting for you uh, as a community of cancer researchers, very dedicated people that are just driven by uh, the the quest to find new therapies and find new ways of detecting the cancer earlier, um, uh, find new ways of preventing cancer altogether. this is this is something we're doing with a lot of passion and I can I can just say the people in my lab the uh, 11 um, brilliant scientists that are young they work very hard for you and um, uh, hopefully we will uh, make make progress thank you so much Thomas you take care bye